Welcome back to our study of the book of Revelation, or excuse me, rather, the book of Hebrews uh, today. Uh, we've got our other series on Revelation that we're doing. Uh, I'm recording them at the same time, so uh, do check that out as well. But uh, this is our study on Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 today. Uh, an often quoted chapter, a very familiar chapter to a lot of Bible students and Bible readers because we're dealing with a fundamental aspect of, of um, our life as Christians. This is an interesting chapter because people know Hebrews chapter 11, but people often stay away from the first 10 chapters because they're kind of hard and they're kind of deep and they're kind of difficult sometimes. So we need to be aware of that and understand that Hebrews chapter 11 isn't just some extra thing tacked on. It's not just something that's an aside to the purpose of the letter and the purpose of what's being presented here uh, in this book. The author has been building a case for the superiority of Christ and the divinity of Christ and the ushering in of a new covenant. And he's built that very methodically over the previous, what we would call 10 chapters, though he didn't write them as chapters. Um, in those chapters, we deal with God's superiority to Moses, or excuse me, Jesus' superiority to Moses as a lawgiver, superiority to the high priests, um, and the new priesthood which we read about in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and the result of that priesthood in 8, 9, and 10, which is a new covenant. And if we have a new priest and a new covenant and therefore a new law, then <clears throat> chapter 11 and following from that, the rest of the book, is about what do we do about it? Because that's the whole point. How do we live if we no longer are living? And when I say we, I mean the audience of the letter, the original audience, Jewish Christians. How are we to change our life? How are we to live differently uh, in the context of a new law? Well, he's saying you put aside all of that, uh, all of that old law and old religion and old um, <clears throat> uh, the things you practiced, the um, routine of that religion and the regulation of that religion, and you enter into a new covenant with God through Jesus Christ, and then how do we live as a result? And the purpose of chapter 11 is to show further what he's been showing all along, that even when you look at the old law, Jesus was present in all of that. That law wasn't something unto itself. It wasn't isolated. It didn't occur in a vacuum. It occurred in the relationship of Jesus, or relationship of us to God, and Jesus comes through in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, in the Gospel, and reveals himself and fulfills the law and now that old covenant gets to be set aside. We get to move that over to the side. We don't have to live in that anymore. We live in a new age, in a new promise, in a new relationship with God. Uh, so chapter 11 doesn't just pop up out of nowhere because we're going to be talking about faith. And faith is the fundamental connection that we have to God through Jesus Christ. We are saved by our faith. And so for the author to say something like this is pretty radical because they understood salvation and righteousness to come through the law and through their practice of the law. So if this law has been done away with and made obsolete by Christ, then how do we live? And the author is going to show, and he's going to go back and reach into the Old Testament and pull out some familiar names to the people who are listening to this and say, see, these people were saved by their faith as well. And it's like, you know, mind-blowing the idea that these heroes that they had considered to be heroes of their faith, of their religion, of their practice, heroes of Judaism, were actually people who were saved by their faith, not by their works. 
And the theme of chapter 11 is the faith that saves is the faith that obeys. We no longer look at obedience as a work of man's righteousness. We look at obedience as a response to God's righteousness and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. So let's begin in chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Right off the bat, we get a working definition of faith. It is the assurance of things hoped for, something we're looking forward to and some way to have some assurance of what's coming and a conviction, a belief in the things we don't see. Verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he's reaching back to creation here. And we're going to walk from creation all the way through the Old Testament and look at the faith that is present in the old law to make the point and to complete the point that Jesus came and he is he represents a law superior to Moses. He, re, he gives us a, a Sabbath rest superior to the promised land. He is a high priest that is superior to Aaron, superior to the Levitical priests, and that that means there's a new covenant which is superior to the old and a new law superior to the old. But in that old law existed the same fundamental relationship that exists under the new law, but they had lost sight of that because as time goes on, we lose track of our story sometimes. Faith Salvation, righteousness by faith was all a part of the law of Moses, but they had missed the point of it, and Jesus brought that firmly into focus in a new covenant. And so now we go to chapter 11 where we walk through the Old Testament, and we walk through the old law, and we find the truth of faith is present there. So the creation of the world, something we accept by faith, was God's doing. Now, Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. You see, he did something that was asked of him, but he did it by faith because he believed the promise of God that he would be blessed. And so he it was credited to him as righteousness that he did this, that, that, that God asked him to do. And we know that that is an act of faith because the contrast is that Cain did not do that, right? We know the story. A more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Because I used to think, when we would hear the story in Bible school and Sunday school, uh, Abel brought the, the, the best of the best of his livestock, because he raised livestock, and Cain brought... Uh, vegetables and things that he grew. And I, I remember getting a sense that like the inferiority was because he was bringing vegetables and God wanted meat. That's kind of a silly thing that kids might think. But it was the attitude. Cain brought the leftovers. He brought uh, the, the less than perfect. Abel brought the best he had. It was the attitude of faith. It was trusting God enough to give him the best of what you had. There is a, an element of trust that exists in our relationship with God when we worship him and we offer to him uh, our life, that we are believing the promise that he's making. So even in our obedience, even in our acts of righteousness, um, it is ce- celebrating God's righteousness because we believe that he will be true to his word. <clears throat> and through faith, though he died, he still speaks. Remember, if you read the account of Cain and Abel, uh, and God goes to Cain and says, where's your brother? You know, after he's killed him, and he says, am I my brother's keeper? And God says, uh, I can still hear his voice because even though he's dead, his blood is crying out to me. 
and he still speaks today, the author says. So that reference there to the, the, the power of the voice of those even who have died because their actions continue to speak after their death. Their faith continues to speak. Now, verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we have to, if we're going to draw near to God in our worship, in our obedience, the fundamental building block of that is faith. We have to believe that he's there and he will do what he says he will do. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, the flood that was coming, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he com he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Oh, how did he condemn the world? Now that's some interesting language there. We see this echoed also uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 20 and 21. Uh, that uh, the patience of God waited in the days of Noah um, uh, when he when the ark was was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Um, it was the salvation in the ark that was constructed by faith, and he actually did build something. He did respond to God's command, but he believed that what God said was going to happen was going to happen, and so he did what he was told. So the faith that saves is the faith that obeys, and it is by faith. So when people would might say, well, you, you, you're trying to obey, keep keep God's commands, and, and, and do these things, or you're just preaching salvation by works. Absolutely not, because there's not a Christian that, that believes that salvation does not come without repentance, and yet they don't consider repentance a work. But I would say where you put repentance in there, I'll put works in there. I'll put faith in there. I'll put baptism in there. I'll put uh, obedience in there. Uh, it is not an act meant to earn salvation uh, any more than baptism earns salvation. No, these are actions of faith response to the grace of God. And this is what Noah did. So the, the Bible says he condemned the world. Well, Noah himself didn't stand and condemn the world and speak the, uh, their condemnation, no. But that ark represented a dividing line between the salvation that was inside of it, salvation from the flood, saving of their physical lives from the flood, and the evil that was in the world that God was going to destroy by the flood. And so by the righteousness of Noah's actions, he implicitly condemns the world. Uh, we, in our righteousness that comes by faith, condemn the unfaithful. Now, we don't stand and say, you're all going to hell, but what we do is we obey uh, and, and we have faith and that righteousness that comes by faith that is expressed in obedience uh, does in fact draw a line in this world between salvation and condemnation. <clears throat> so, verse uh, 8 now. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God said, you need to go. And he said, okay, I'll start walking. You just tell me where, where I need to end up. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, the promise that they would be the father of many nations, that there would be a great people come from them, that God would be working through their descendants. And they believed that promise, and so they went, and they lived the lives of nomads, uh, following after where God was sending them. 
Verse 10, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Uh, there you go. They believed in something greater than what was right in front of them, something they couldn't yet see, but that God had promised. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah, that's Abraham's wife, herself received power to conceive, even though she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Um, interesting story there, because God said, you're going to have a, a child, an heir. Isaac was the one promised, and Sarah scoffed at that. Uh, and they didn't believe it at first, all right? But here the author says, oh no, but by faith she believed. So sometimes faith isn't a perfect thing. Sometimes belief is not always present. Sometimes we have to come around to it. We have to grow in it. But she did believe it. Um, and even though they had the little misstep there with, with Ishmael, that they were trying to uh, hurry up the promise of God and, and kind of circumvent what God had said, Eventually, they came to accept it, and they were blessed with, with uh, Isaac. Um, so Sarah, by faith, was considered righteous for her belief. Uh, she considered him faithful, who had promised. This, um, uh, who, who had promised. Verse twelve. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. This is Abraham. Were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, all the, these all died in faith. All these people he's mentioned, they're all dead and gone, but they died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Um, Abel was killed. He didn't actually get, to, he, he didn't get a, a really quick physical blessing for his spiritual offering. He lost his life for it. Enoch was carried up away from this world. Um, Noah did not see the end of the re, the replenishing of civilization. Um, Abraham didn't see all of his descendants. Sarah did not see all of her descendants. And most importantly, they didn't all see the finished work of Jesus Christ. They died long before that. Um, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar because they knew that God would come through and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And that is key. We have to remember we don't belong here, and we're not living here forever. For people who speak thus made it make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There is a place prepared. They were all looking forward to it. They never saw it in their lifetime. But because of the, the, their faith expressed in their obedience, they will see it. And we're going back to Abraham now in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the, promise, uh, the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Even when God fulfilled the promise of Isaac and then told him to kill Isaac, Abraham still was willing to do it. He trusted that God was going to fulfill his promise, even if it didn't really make sense with what he thought that promise should look like. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Isaac was as good as dead because he was about to kill him, and that sentence was was excused. It was commuted. It was... Uh, it, it was um, uh, pardoned. And so, in a sense, he did receive him back from the dead, but he knew 
God's going to do what God's going to do, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to go where God is sending me. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden. Now, I like this is interesting because this is a passive. Um, by faith, Moses. So Moses was faithful, and by faith, Moses was hidden when he was young. Moses didn't have any say in that, but there is a faith aspect to the life of Moses, and those that hid him did so by faith, trusting in God. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So really, the parents are the subject of this verse, okay, and their faith. Interesting. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He could have been living it up. He could have had everything. He could have had wealth, empire, power, but he said, I'm going to reject that to be with my people, to be treated like my people who were slaves. He chose God's people over the opportunities he had. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses didn't know who Christ was. Interesting that Christ's name is here. But he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking. So he accepted the reproach. Not Now, this is not having a, a, a negative attitude toward Christ himself, but the reproach of Christ. In other words, the, the same rejection that Christ received in this life, right? Jesus was all-powerful. He was God in the flesh. He could have done whatever he wanted. But he chose to empty himself of that and take on what the world was going to throw at him, which was horrible uh, suffering and rejection. And so God, uh, the writer here is equating the, uh, what Moses chose with what Jesus chose. Look at the parallel. Jesus, though he had every right to royalty, rejected it to be just like us and to suffer the way we suffer in order to save us. Similarly, Moses had every right to live as Egyptian royalty, but he rejected it to be a part of his people, and he considered that to be worth more than the, than the treasures of, of Egypt, for he was looking toward the reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had uh, given a friendly welcome to the spies. What a, uh, It's got to be wonderful. Rahab, uh, here she is living in a pagan city, uh, working as a prostitute. She shows kindness to, to two spies who were scoping out the city to destroy it. And for that action, she is listed in the heroes of faith in Hebrews as an example of faith, also found in, in, in throughout Scripture as being a, a, such an important part 
of what would come. Uh, and I just think that's wonderful the way God works, uh, where we find faith and examples of faith. Also would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when God, the, the spies in God's army decided that they should go to the brothel to hide. Um, not sure how that decision came about. Anyway, so again, notice we're walking right through the Old Testament. We've started at creation. We're just walking chronologically straight through the Old Testament. Um, you know, into, from Genesis all the way, we're in the book of Joshua now in these references. But And here we go. The author is saying, all of these stories you know that you have used to be the anchor point to the law, they were about faith. They were about belief. They were about righteousness that doesn't come from works, but you've missed that. And Jesus is here to open that up and highlight that. Everything that the author has said in the first 10 chapters, he now brings to fruition in chapter 11 because this is about how we live. How are you going to live in the face of the truth that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of your own righteousness, which cannot deliver forgiveness of sin? If they could have, there would have been no need for a cross. But we know there was one, so this has to mean something. This is about how we live, okay? And all the people that went before them were saved by their faith. That's his point. You think they were saved because they kept the law. They were saved by their faith. And the same is true of us, that faith saves us. And the faith that saves is the faith that obeys. Verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That I'm going to stop there for a second. He lists a great number of people who, by their faith, were credited as righteous because of their faith. Now, they did righteous acts, but it was their faith in that compelled those acts. It was the fact that they believed that God would fulfill his promise, and therefore they did as they were told. But what had become of the law in the centuries since was they did what they were told because they thought that was how you get the promise. But the promise was made by God, who is righteous, and we believe the promise first, and then we obey in response to it. And the author says, all these people, these stories you know, they were being saved by their faith. They were pointing the way to Jesus. And all these others, think about just the Israelites, the, the, that nation, those tribes, the captivity, the wars, the occupation, the oppression, the horrible things that were done to God's people. And they endured it because they believed God's promise and they kept the story alive. And he says, I don't, I don't have time to tell you about all these stories because there's too many of them. Verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, 
since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They didn't live to see the time of Christ. But the author is saying here, you did. You have Christ. Isn't it a blessing to live on this side of the cross? It surely is. Because we can look now into the past and the evidence of it, and that can bolster our faith today. They obeyed knowing a promise was coming that they would never see. And they didn't. But they were considered righteous, credited as righteous um, for their faith, commended for their faith. But they didn't, they didn't get the promise. They didn't live in the time of Christ. Because God had this in mind. And we are blessed because we live in the Christian age. And uh, I think that's a beautiful story. And I think chapter 11 is a beautiful chapter because it is a, it's a bridge between kind of the deep theological mechanisms and discussions of the old law into a discussion in these last few chapters of how, how will we live as a result of that? What are we going to do in response to the grace of God? Well, we're going to have the same faith as they had. And now we're going to talk about Jesus and why he's so special. That's chapter 12, and that's coming up. So stay tuned. Join us for that. Thank you so much. We'll see you then.